people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We are now in lesson 63. Uh, there were just a few more uh, uh, things that I wanted to say about Ezekiel. I skipped that part, though I had it in my notes. Anyway, I think that would make it very relevant to show that God was planning all in advance long ago in details the return of his people Israel, which means that he never ever intended to reject them or forsake them or cast them away, as some people had believed. As a matter of fact, the majority of those who call themselves Christians for the past 2,000 years until recently, uh, many of them believed that not understanding that Israel was a divided nation, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. They were thinking about the southern kingdom, uh, who were called the Jews, people of Judah, house of Judah, which included Benjamin, Levi, and some other sprinklings of the other tribes of Israel. In either case, they regarded them as the only people of God, and therefore, from their point of view, because they totally misunderstood the writings in the New Testament, having no background, therefore, God just cast them away, rejected them, and they came up later on, with the replacement theology, or the dispensationalist uh, theology. And many to this very day have believed that, and unfortunately, uh, because that deception has been around for such a long time, and so pervasive, and so deep, that even those that God has called, at least in this last generation, it could have been the same uh, for the other generations who did not understand better, where people think that, yes, there are two churches, there was a church in the wilderness that God had rejected, and uh, picked up, Another group, which he calls the church, and they're using scriptures like when Christ said, I shall build my church, so they say, oh, you see, Christ was going to build a new one. He didn't say, I'm going to build a new one. He said, I'm going to build my church. And if you know who is his church, then you know what he's talking about. And people don't know who is his church, and therefore they don't know what he's talking about. And so it is with the other disciples, where they don't, do not understand all the scriptures. And that's the reason for the series. Anyway, in chapter 48 in Ezekiel, uh, God is saying to Ezekiel, and that is, when we are saying God, we are speaking about the, uh, the one that became Jesus Christ, the God of Israel, the Savior, the Ruler, the Deliverer, who came in the flesh to give his life for them. Anyway, this is what he's saying about his wife, his people, his church. He says now in verse 48, uh, 48 in, uh, uh, that is chapter 48 in verse 1, now these are the names of the tribes from the northern border along the road to Hetlon, or at the entrance of Hamad to Hatzar. In other words, he's describing the area there in the north uh, to Hatzar, and now the border of Damascus, northward, in the direction of Hamad, and so forth. And so from the north, he's beginning from the north, where he's going to settle his people, Judah. Now this is speaking about 2,600 years ago, where God was planning in detail in many ways, and there are many other details that he did not choose to reveal to us, everything about his people, his wife, when she returns to him, when he heals her, when he forgives and atones for all her, all her sins, and that's the reason why he came and gave his life for her. And so when we see from God's point of view, we realize how great is the deception to believe that God rejected his people and chose another group, and they're all the spiritual organism. And we have no proper understanding that way of the plan of God, of the kingdom of God, of prophecy, of the future. And therefore, whatever kind of work we do, if we're doing it out of ignorance, or confusion, or mixture of truth and error, it's not going to be a very effective work. And so, he says that he's going to settle them from the north to the south. And he begins with the first tribe, by the border of Dan, verse 2, from the east side to the west side, one section for Asher. 
that the body of Asher from the east side to the west, one section for Naphtali. In other words, he's going to give a section to every single one of them, which would be exactly the same as we read in another scripture, as the same portion that is going to be called the holy portion, where the priests and the Levites and then the part of Israel are going to inhabit. And so he's going to settle them tribe by tribe, and he goes down through the list, and Naphtali, next, and then Manasseh, and then Ephraim, and then Reuben, and then Judah, and after that comes the holy portion. In other words, Judah is going to be on one side of the holy portion, and Judah basically would be on the side of the city of Jerusalem. And on the other side, uh, there would be the tribe of uh, Benjamin, which is going to be uh, on the part of the, uh, on the side of the priest, where the temple is going to be located, and so forth. And after that, all the other tribes. And so, well, you know, that makes it very plain how God planned the return of his people Israel, the return of his wife, the return of his church, and that's the church that God said when he came in the flesh, I will build my church, because it was in ruin. You can read other proverbs that he spoke about his church, describing her to a vineyard, in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in different places, where he said, I planted a vineyard, and I hedged it, and I just took care of it, and he groomed it, and he said instead of that, it became a wild uh, vineyard. And so, in other words, it was in ruin. It was in ruin because of the leaders that it had, you know, the spiritual leaders and the physical leaders that destroyed it, that led it astray, that led her into idolatry time and time and time again. And so, that's what Christ was saying. That's what the God of Israel is saying. I'm going to build my church. And he was not going to allow those leaders anymore to destroy his people. He's going to cast them away and appoint shepherds over his nation, over his wife, over his people, over the tribes of Israel, according to his will. And so when we don't have a background to understand every single word and statement that was made in the so-called New Testament, which is just the magnification of the Hebrew Scriptures, of the Torah, of the, of the prophets, and of the writings, we, we just get mixed up when we read uh, the writings of the disciples and the four Gospels which uh, uh, described the life of Christ on this earth with, in his, with his wife, still with his wife. And that time, uh, obviously, it was only the people of Judah, and even then it was only a small section of them. The rest were in, uh, in exile, that is, abroad, different countries. And so he makes it very plain. And then verse 17 is describing the, the city. In verse 16, actually, this shall be its measurements to the north, and uh, to the north, 4,500 cubits, and to the south, 4,500 cubits. In other words, it's going to be a square city. It's going to be 4,500 uh, cubits each way, and in the center, there is going to be the city. And so, verse 17, the common land of the city shall be to the north, 250 cubits, and to the south, 250 cubits. In other words, there's going to be a stretch of land all around it, 250 cubits all around it, which is going to be basically made of a park, you might say gardens, where people can walk through and then play and talk, and uh, the nations that will be coming to Jerusalem, uh, they're going to be able to walk all around and enjoy the, the glory of the city on the outside. And you can see that God planned all those things in detail. And so those people who read it, who knew it, and basically, it was the people of Judah. And the other ones that did not reject this teaching, 
and to this very day they never lost his understanding, at least the ones who are studying it and reading it. While the others who did not have, who could not go to the synagogue, because they didn't, and uh, and hear the law and hear the prophets and hear the, the writings, uh, they knew very little, uh, sometimes extremely very little, and at times even that very little was mixed up. And so they were not able to really perceive and understand what the plan of God was all about. And therefore when people read to them a scripture here and a scripture there about the so-called writings of the, the, the apostles, you know, the New Testament, they could not really get proper picture because the pieces of the puzzles that, uh, that uh, were put together created a picture that had very little to do with reality and truth because they did not have the pattern of the whole picture. And so, uh, in verse 21, uh, we read, The rest shall belong to the prince on the one side. Well, we read that before that. But anyway, I just wanted to bring this point here, uh, that God was planning his city, was planning the location of his tribes, was going even to change the location of his tribes, and it's not going to be as where, uh, when they were in the land, now it's going to be a different order of where the tribes are going to be and the size of their land and uh, he described the monetary system, the economic system, the spiritual uh, life, the ritualistic life that is going to be in the temple. Everything was planned long in advance, 2,600 years ago. So for people to say that God planned all these things, and then when he came in the flesh and gave his life and died on the cross, and then he said, well, forget all about that. And that's in essence what they are saying. They are making God a liar. And we have to understand what we are doing when we are saying those kind of things. That is blasphemy against God. And we have to read the scriptures and be corrected by it. Not by men. Not by me. Not by anyone else. Be corrected by the scriptures. And since God is the one that inspired them, be corrected by God. And admit our guilt and our error. And all of us, to one degree or the other, are in error on this point or that, or that point, and sometimes major points. So we should not be too haughty and too arrogant and too proud to admit to God, not to man, to God, we are wrong. You know, we are wrong. Not only in tiny little points here and there, but sometimes some major, major aspects of his teachings. And that's what happens to people who are drinking from the wrong source. And that's what God says. Your teachings are the teachings of Babylon. You're believing the lies of Babylon, and you are in it because of that. Even though you may be the people of God, even though we are the people of God and have His Holy Spirit, we are still capable of error. And so, this is what God is saying to all of us, to come out of Babylon. Because God made His plan very, very, very graphically detailed and clear, and there is no reason for people to be confused. But if they are listening to the teachings of what they came from, obviously they are going to be confused. Well, all we have to do is just open the book and read what it says and exactly how God said it in a very plain way, very clear way, very simple way that the child can understand and then by those words be washed away from all of our lies and deceptions and filthiness. And that's the purpose of studying the Bible. That's how God washes us. Not only with his blood to wash away our sins, but our ignorance is being washed away by the word. By the washing of the word, as we read that later on, many times, in the writings of the disciples. And so after that, we read at the end of the, of the chapter uh, about the gates. 
And this one is very important detail. And it's not a detail, it's a major one in one sense because it means an awful lot for Israel and for the nations of the earth and for the, even for the twelve uh, disciples of Christ who became the rulers, that is, who are going to become the rulers of the twelve tribes. Because every one of them, in one sense, is going to be sitting at the gate of every tribe that is going to rule. In verse 30, these are the exits of the city on the north side measuring 4,500 cubits. And then verse 31, the gates of the city shall be named after the tribes of Israel. The three gates northward, one gate for Reuben, one gate for Judah, and one gate for Levi. All the gates of the, of the city of Jerusalem that face northward. And then when you go to Revelation 21, and this time we're talking about the holy city. Not the city where Christ is going to, to be in, but we're talking about the holy city of the Father. When he comes down with heaven in Jerusalem, it's going to be exactly the same. It's going to have the gates of Israel. And so you can see, into eternity, God was planning the salvation of his people, of his wife, the return of his wife, because it's through them that he's going to offer salvation to all of humanity. And that was the plan from the beginning. And God planned everything. Not only planned that, he planned even the birth of all those children of Jacob. And he inspired their wives, and he opened their womb, and he shut their womb. He was totally involved in that. He was thinking into eternity, into the future. And that makes it even much more foolish to, to say otherwise. That God had rejected Israel, rejected his people, and picked up the church. And for 2,000 years, this lie has been, has been taught, and many are so warped by it, and so perverted by it, and so uh, entrenched in this lie that they do not even understand. And realize that when they come to the knowledge of the truth, they should discard all the teachings of the past, not bring it with them, and go back to it, and not share it. You know, along with the spiritual life, as Christ said, you know, if you mix the old and the new, you know, the, the garment is going to tear. You cannot do that. You have to totally throw away the past and all the teachings of the past and anything, anything that resembles the, the teachings of uh, Babylon, uh, which people call, obviously, by a different name, they call it Christianity. That's what God called it. He called it the, the religion of the great whore, the, you know, the mother of harlots, mystery, Babylon, the great. And all the iniquities and filthiness and, 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 the, and the potion, you know, that she was giving to all nations of the earth and making all of them drunk with her lies and her deceptions. And the whole world is in that deception. And through her, Satan is deceiving the whole world. And God says, you should not be of that category. You must come out of it. Totally come out of it. And so in verse 32, we read, on the east side, 4,500 cubits, three gates. And four, and uh, one for Joseph, and one for Benjamin, and one for Dan, on the south side, measuring 4,500 cubits. In other words, that every side of the city is 4,500 cubits. Uh, there are going to be three gates: one gate for Simon, one gate for Issachar, and one gate for Zebulun. And then uh, on the west gate, uh, on the west side, that is, uh, toward the, the Mediterranean, 4,500 cubits, with their three gates: one gate for Gad, one for Asher, and one for Naphtali. And that's basically what the city is going to be all about. The city where the children of Israel, representatives that is, are going to dwell in it. They're called the workers of the city. They're going to have their own land where they can grow their own crops. And all the nations of the earth, and also children of Israel who would want to know the ways of God, they're going to come to that city. And the, the Levites will be next door. 
so to speak, and the priest uh, further uh, north to that. And they too are going to be able to be taught the ways of God. And of course, as they come to keep the feast, they're going to be around the city of Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, wherever they could be, all around it. And they would be able to come uh, and then walk from there toward the temple. And all the nations of the earth, representatives of them, God is going to make them come to the city of Jerusalem to hear his word. And so it's not going to be a missionary work where the people of God are going to travel all around the earth. All the earth is going to travel into Jerusalem. Representatives of them, that is, and they're going to be the teachers. And they, are go- they will go back and teach their own nations. And that's the way God is going to do it. So... That's basically what I wanted to bring up here because that was very important then because then when you got into the New uh, uh, Testament, you know, as it is called in the world of Christianity, uh, not in the Word of God, Word of God, just the writings, uh, just like, you know, the law, the prophets, and the, and the writings, and that's a part of the writings, continuation, writings of the disciples, uh, and continuation of the oracles of God who spoke through the prophets and it continues to speak through the disciples. And he's the one that is known as the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer, Jesus Christ. And so at the end of the book in Revelation, you come back to the story of heaven and Jerusalem. And there again, you see the foundations are named after the apostles because they're going to be sitting there, so to speak, reading, uh, that is ruling the tra- 12 tribes of Israel. You see, that's the church. That's the reason why they are ruling the tribes of Israel. They're not in, in heaven and pearly gates and all these lies and deceptions that people have been taught and swallowed and believed and had books about and movies and novels and you know uh, little children's stories and all this are just absolute lies and that's what God says people are drunk with the lies with the wine of the fornication of the great wrath in the process they know nothing about the plan of God they believe lies and they live lies and their whole life is just Meaningless because of that. So let's go back, uh, well, let's go forward now uh, into Obadiah, as we were last time in the book of uh, Amos. We finished that one, and so now we're going to uh, continue with the prophet Obadiah. And God had a few things to say about his nation, about his people in this book, about his church. And we're going to read in verse 15 to 21, the whole uh, book of Obadiah is about Edom. And Edom was the twin brother of Jacob and was always in uh, in a struggle for the birthright. And wherever Jacob went, all around the earth, you know, uh, northwestern Europe, there was Edom there in Spain and Portugal and from there to the New World. And again, they are constantly vying for the birthright and they will continue to fight and Edom, in essence, championed the cause of the counterfeit church, and not even realizing it, because they too lost their own identity, just like most of the tribes of Israel. They don't know who they are. But God knows who they are, and the scripture kept uh, their identity, and history kept their identity. And for those who want to study it, it's there, in detail. And only those who do not uh, accept either the truth of the word of God or the truth of history reject it. And there are many of those. But not for long, anyway. In verse 15, God is saying, For the day of the eternal upon all the nations is near. As you have done speaking to Edom, it shall be done to you. And your reprisals shall return upon your hand. There are many other chapters in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and and, uh, Isaiah that speak about Babylon, and they're using the same terminology as because Babylon and Edom intermingled 
and in essence uh, became one not only physically but spiritually after all Abraham came from Babylon so it was natural for part of his descendants to go back to Babylon and uh, you know have kinship with them because they are in essence uh, of the same people they came from the same place and that's what today you find uh, as a matter of fact for the last many many centuries uh, descendants of Edom that uh, that fled uh, the area of uh, the original land they had near the Dead Sea or under the Dead Sea and began traveling because they were migrating people, they were conquering people, they were men of the sword and they had lots of cattle and so they migrated downward first along the Red Sea and that's why it's called the Red Sea because the Red people lived there, that is Edom and uh, cities like Medina was their capital anciently, people who know history and understand that very well and then uh, part of them uh, went to uh, the Sheikdoms and into Iraq and uh, took their names with them. There were many, many cities in ancient times that were called after the, the tribe of uh, or the people, the family of Edom in the land of Iraq and Babylon, different places like that because they were the same people. And of course many of them uh, who, be, who were called by the Greeks the Red People or in Greek Phonic or the Phoenicians, they traveled uh, all around the earth and then uh, they had colonies and then they went into those colonies in later times and they had colonies in Greece, they had colonies in, uh, in Spain, uh, they're basically the Spanish people, and they had colonies in uh, southern Italy, in southern France, and uh, many places, Sicily. And so God is speaking about them, wherever they are all around the earth, but in specific about those in the Middle East. He said, your reprisal shall return upon your own head, for as you drank on my holy mountain. And you see some of them living and have been there for quite a while in the city of Jerusalem, claiming that that, land, that city belongs to them. For as long uh, for as, verse 16, for as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all nations drink continually. And he's speaking about punishment. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been, because God is going to totally remove them from that land, decimate the overwhelming majority of them, put them to sleep, you know, wait there in the grave, in other words, he's going to tell them, until the second resurrection when I'm going to deal with you. And only the remnant of them he's going to work with, and later on give them his Holy Spirit. So they too can be his people, because after all, they are the children of Isaac, twin brother of Jacob, son of Abraham. Verse 17, but on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance. And now there is anything but deliverance. A lot of problems back and forth, and it's going to get worse when they begin to discuss the so-called issue of Jerusalem. And there shall be holiness, the house of Jacob, that is the entirety of it, the house of Jacob shall, po shall possess their possessions, so that's and now that land, uh, Jerusalem, the whole territory from the Euphrates to the Nile, that belongs to the house of Jacob by decree from God himself. And nobody's going to fight him when he comes, because those who do are going to be decimated, and that's all there is to it. There isn't going to be any peace negotiation with them. Verse 18, the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. So you see Joseph again there in his own land. And now, ironically, members of the house of Joseph are pressuring Judah to give it up and give it back to the enemy, the enemies of God. And God is going to make them. You go back there, you know, in the land that you force my people, you know, your brethren, to give up. You're going to have to fight for it and take it back. 
I saw the West Bank and many other parts. The British, you know, children of Ephraim forced the partition and then the United Nations participated in it and Joseph has been at it all these years forcing Israel, give back, give back, give back and again, God is going to make them the house of Joseph of course they didn't know what they were doing they didn't even know who they are but he's going to make them to go and fight for that land and take it back and so he says, house of Jacob shall be fire and the house of Joseph a flame so he's speaking about the other tribes of Israel and the house of Joseph mainly Ephraim and Manasseh, which is um, uh, the American and the English peoples, English-speaking people all around the earth, uh, mainly in this country, in Britain. Uh, but the house of Esau shall be stubble, and they shall kindle them and devour them. So speaking about these two houses of uh, the children of Isaac, that is the house of Jacob and the house of Esau, twin brothers, constantly at war. And this would be the last war that they are going to have between them. <coughs> Excuse me. And they shall kindle them and devour them, and no savior shall remain of the house of Esau. Nobody's going to deliver them anymore. And that is no survivor, I'm sorry. No survivor shall remain of the house of Esau. For the Eternal has spoken. In Arabic, Allah has spoken. They say Allah Akbar and they go and massacre Jews. I think that's, that's a holy thing, that's a wonderful thing. You're going to go to paradise. And it's all lying and foolishness. There is no such a place. Because when we die, we go to the grave, and then God is going to resurrect us, resurrect us and heal the earth, and He's going to make the earth paradise, and that's what paradise is all about. So they too, you know, have fallen because of the, the false religions of Babylon that they follow, and they think that's the religion of God. Verse 19, the south shall possess the mountains of Esau, that is the tribes of the south of Israel, and the lowlands shall possess the Philistines, in other words, the part of the Gaza Strip, and all that area where the ancient Philistines dwelled, and then when the Romans took over the land and uh, had the final war against Judah, in their hatred against the people of Judah, they renamed the land Palestine, the whole land, after the name of the Philistines, who were the sworn enemy of King David and others. And to this very day, there are people, even in the midst of uh, the people of God, who just enjoy calling the land, and would rather call the land Palestine than Israel, the name that God gives it to this very day. And so, that's, that's something we have to consider when we, when we say those kind of things. How does God feel about it? How does David and others? We wouldn't dare say this word in, you know, in front of him. And so the fields of Samaria also are going to be back. In other words, it says uh, they shall possess the fields of Ephraim, which is the West Bank, and the fields of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And we're talking about Gilead. That's on the eastern part of the Jordan. That is in Jordan. The Jordanians don't know what's coming. And so Benjamin is going to possess a part of that. That's what it says here. Benjamin is going to possess Gilead. And the captives of this host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites. This whole land. As far as Zarephath. Zarephatha. Uh, that is all the way up there to Lebanon. So on the entirety of the land of Lebanon is going to go into, into possession. That is, will become a possession of the children of Israel. And there isn't going to be any Lebanon anymore. And there isn't going to be any war there. Between Jews and uh, so-called, you know, the... the uh, the Arabs are fighting them there, you know, that, that is the, the, the Muslims and even others, you know, they call themselves the party of Allah, Hezbollah. All that is going to be gone, no more. God is going to take all that land and give it to his people because this is what he gave Abraham. And none of them is going to have any say-so about it and no nation on the face of the earth is going to have any say-so about it and there isn't going to be any United Nation to deliver them from that. 
This is the verdict that has been written in in the pages of history, so to speak, 2,600 years, and God himself said it, and he's going to fulfill it, and he's going to use his own people. Today they are called the Jews, Americans, British, you know, French, Dutch, you know, and uh, so forth, all the northern, uh, northwestern uh, nations of, of Europe, they are all going to be fighting for their own land, take it back to themselves once they find out who they are, and God brings them back to their own land to begin the story all over again. And so they're going to possess all the territory. Then, verse 21, Then Savior shall come uh, to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau. In other words, they're going to be deliverers now. In Israel, we're going to judge Babylon. We're going to judge the children of Edom. We're going to judge all the nations of the earth. And the kingdom shall be to the eternal. This is what it means. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you can see the lie that has been taught for 2,000 years and people are living a lie, total lie. And constantly praying again and again and again every chance they have. Thy kingdom come and don't even know what they are talking about and they are babbling about it. And it's all foolishness when the word of God is so very plain. And the kingdom shall be the eternals. And this is the God of Israel. The one that became Jesus Christ, as Paul makes it very plain, that God, that rock, that Savior that Israel followed in the wilderness was Christ. And it's not somebody that a man invented. That's reality. That's truth. So even those who say, well, I want only the New Testament. I don't want the Old Testament. Well, this is what the New Testament says. The God of Israel, it's not the old harsh monster, it's the him the Father. The God of Israel, the Savior, the Husband of Israel, the Lamb, the Deliverer, the Redeemer, the Messiah, Yeshua, is Christ. And the kingdom is going to be His. And the kingdom is on this earth. And it's going to be in Zion with all the people of Israel back there. This is truth. All the other is lies. And that's why God uses this. It's not my terminology. I'm not the one, you know trying to be offensive to people, and I have no intention of being offensive, but we just have, you know, when you read the Word of God, uh, you are impacted by it emotionally to realize how how many lies people are living in, and many of them are the people of God, and they think that they know the truth. And yet, the truth is very plain, and it's more fascinating than fiction, the fiction that people believe in. Let's continue now with, uh, with Micah, the next prophet we want to go through. I've had quite a bit to say but about uh, the church of God. And in Micah in chapter 2, in verse 12 we read, for the inhabitant, actually chapter 2 and verse 12, uh, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. This is God speaking, this is Jesus Christ speaking. I will, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel, so they are not in hell, and they are not gone. And as some people say, well, how can, how can you tell? I mean, the tribes of Israel went all over the place, and they're, they're lost into history, and they're intermarried, and there's, well, how do you know which is which? Well, that's foolishness. That's ignorance speaking. God knows where they are, and he makes sure that they don't get mixed up. I mean, some of them, yes, and they have a little intermarriage here and there, but, you know, that's a very minuscule number of them. But God made sure in His awesome power and glory and wisdom, and He can do all things, 
that they still remain separate tribes, even though they may be living sometimes next to each other. And only God can do things like that. Man cannot. And so he says, I'm going to bring you back. Because he never cast them away. He never forsake them. He never put down Israel and picked up the church. Israel is the church. So that statement is an extremely foolish one to make to begin with. And I will surely assemble Jacob, and I will surely gather the remnant of Israel, and I will put them together like sheep of the fold. This is the sheep he was talking about. My pasture, my sheep, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's his church. And that's what he told Peter, the minister to the circumcision, the apostle to the circumcision. If you love me, feed my sheep. This is the sheep he's talking about, and that's why he sent him and others to the lordship of the hands of Israel. How plain can the statements be? And yet people who are totally ignorant and blind and go to the end of the movie and get all mixed up. So if you want to really read the, the writings of the disciples and understand them, go to Genesis 1.1 and begin scripture by scripture, step by step, reading the whole story. When you get there, then you'll know what you're reading. Not think that you do know and have faith and conviction for which you are willing to die and it's awful lies. And so he says, I will surely gather the remnant of Israel and I will put them together like sheep of the fold, like a flock in the midst of their pasture. That's a good shepherd. And they shall make a loud noise because of so many people. In other words, there will be a lot of talking. A lot of people of Israel back in their own land, you know, they all talk to each other. You know how people are when they all get together and they all talk to each other. It sounds like a lot of noise. That's what he's saying. And that's going to be a happy noise to God. His wife is back. They're 13. And the one who breaks open will come up before them, and they will break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it. Their king will pass before them with the eternal at their head. You see, Jesus Christ leading them. They're going to be spreading all around the world, everywhere. And so when you read it, as God says it, it becomes a very plain scenario. A fascinating one, a beautiful one, much more beautiful than the fiction and the lies that people have been teaching all this time. And that all those missionaries going all around the world teaching a measure of truth. And they're in the category that God says, many shall come in my name, saying that I am the Christ, which they do, that's fine, nice, he's the Christ, and then they're going to deceive many. Because all of them are members, as far as God is concerned, not men, but as far as God is concerned, because of all those lies that they're teaching, they're all members of the churches of Revelation 17. And that's not something you want to be a part of. That's a shame to be a part of that. And there are a lot of them uh, who are very sincere people, very devout, very good people. I'm sure even very pleasing to God in many ways because of all the good things they do. And many of them are genuine. But they do not know the truth. They're mixed up. They've been drinking of the wrong source, thinking they're drinking of the Word of God. And it's a mixture of truth and error that becomes vomit as God is concerned, as far as is is concerned. Let's go to chapter 4 and verse 1. And where we read, And it shall come to pass in the latter days, at the end time, that the mountain that is the kingdom of the Lord's house, that's the kingdom that we are praying for, thy kingdom come. And when you see it in the pages of the Bible, it is so real that you can pray fervently for it, and it's not an ethereal something that you just mumble, mumble, mumble. Our Heavenly Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, you know, you know, and people don't know what they are saying. It's just totally meaningless. And they, and they say that in every chance they have. 
And God is not listening to that foolishness because they don't know what they're talking about. God speaks very plainly. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house, that's his kingdom, shall be established on the top of the mountains over all the nations of the earth. As it says, the Lord, the Lamb, the Savior, the Deliverer, the Messiah, the God of Israel, Jesus Christ, is going to be the King of kings and Lord of lords over all the nations of the earth. And this is what you're reading 2,600 years ago. And peoples, all the nations, that is, shall flow to it, all the Gentiles. You see, it's no longer that God is going to send missionaries all around the world. They're going to come to him. They're going to come to Israel. They're going to come to Israel, who are going to be the royal priesthood. And that was their purpose from the time that God married them in Sinai. And because of rebellion, God said, okay, I'm going to put you on the shelf for a while. And then, when things are going to be fulfilled and accomplished according to the plan that the Father has, when people ask Jesus Christ, you know, are you going to do it at this time? You know, bring your kingdom to Israel, restore it to Israel. He says, no, no, it's not for you to know the time or the hour. You know, those things are reserved for my Father. He's the one that will determine when it's going to happen. So the whole thing was there in the planning. It's not an afterthought. And so many nations very soon shall come and say, come and let us go to the, to the mountain of the Lord. Many people sing it, don't even know what they're singing. And to the house of the God of Jacob. And he... He will teach us His ways, His religion. In other words, no more Judaism and Christianity. His religion. No more any other religion on the face of the earth. All nations of the earth are going to say that. When their eyes are open, when God removes, as you read in, in Isaiah 26, when God removes the veil, the law that is cast upon the faces of the nations, that causes them to be blind, and their eyes are going to be open. For the first time, they're going to see truth instead of lies. And they would come and confess, you know, that their fathers taught them lies, and they will forsake all the religions they have. And so they're going to go there, and they will say, yeah, let's go up there to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and he's going to do it through his people who are going to be in Jerusalem. They're going to do it in person uh, with them, no more than he does it in person today. You know, his teachers all around the earth as he did in the past. And so he will teach, that means whatever comes from those that he's going to use, it's like as if it came from his mouth. And so he will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his path, not our path anymore, for out of Zion, that's where the temple is, shall the law go forth, because this is where God is going to be dwelling, and the word of the eternal from Jerusalem. You see? As I explained earlier, it's going to be a square, of uh, 25,000 by 25,000 divided by three. One section for the priest in the center is the temple. The other section for the Levites next to it are going to be helping the priest. And the other section, the remaining, remaining section will be for the children of Israel that is representatives of all of them who are going to be called workers of the city because they have a job to do. The teaching of all nations of the earth will be coming up there. And this is what it means. And if you don't know the whole scenario, you don't know what this statement means. For the law, that is the Torah, not Christian values and, and halakha, but the Torah. You see, both houses of Israel are in confusion. And that's the reason why they're going to suffer grievously in the trouble of Jacob, because all, both of them, house of Israel, that is, all the Jews, Orthodox Jews, conservative, reform, and all that, they're all in confusion, mixture of truth and error, and so are all the rest of the house of Israel who are in the so-called Christianity, and many other nations with them too. 
and all, you know, wallowing in, in mire and, 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 uh, and vomit. And God said, now you're going to seek my ways, which are not your ways, my religion, not yours, because you've perverted my religion and my path. For out of Zion, the Torah shall go forth, the entirety of it. You know, some people say, well, they think about the law in terms of the Ten Commandments. That's the entirety, the body of teachings from A to Z. How to get up in the morning and go to sleep at night. How to live righteously with your God. How to be a, a happy person. How to have a wonderful relationship with your wife, with your friends, with nature, with the environment. You know, how to do, construct a house properly. How to plant a vineyard properly and trees and all that. That's the Torah. Everything. Poetry, singing, medicine, biology. Everything is in it. At least the principles are taught there. And after that, you know, the details are given by name. And so, for out of Zion, the Torah shall go forth, and the word of the Eternal from Jerusalem. That is, the workers of the city are going to be in Jerusalem, and the teachers of humanity. And he is speaking about God, or Jesus Christ, or the Savior, the God of Israel, the Messiah. And the people of Judah don't know who the Messiah is, totally confused. They think it's a man, like Moses. And God made it very plain that he is the Messiah. He is a deliverer. He is anointed Savior. Verse 3. And he shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar. And they shall beat because of that. They are going to beat their swords into plowshares. They are not going to be rebel rousers and whole mong- well, you know, uh, warmongers anymore. No weapons industry is going to exist anymore on the face of the earth. They're going to be farmers. You know, they're going to do battle with the ground, you know, instead of with each other and killing one another. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So they, they think, oh, that, that sounds cute. So let's put it on, uh, on, a, on a plaque and put it in front of the United Nations. And it and doesn't mean anything to them. You know, just an ethereal something. This is reality. This is the kingdom of God on earth. This is what people are praying for. Thy kingdom come, and they don't know what they're praying for. Verse 4. But everyone shall sit under his vine... And under his fig tree, not in front of his computer, some people think, we're going to have a little modification of today's life. No, this life is going to be totally wiped out from under heaven without any trace. And people are going to be farmers and shepherds. Simple life, natural life, the whole family together, not somebody here and somebody there. And you get up in the morning and the husband goes here and the wife goes there and the children goes there. God doesn't like this kind of life. It produces a lot of iniquity and breakdowns in every way. And children's hearts are being alienated from their parents from a very young age. When in the morning they take the bus and go and be shuttled somewhere else. God says, no, it's going to be all farmers, all together, working together. That's going to be your education. The truth of God, the word of God, you know, the purpose of your existence. And then whatever other things that are relevant. And so everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one, no one shall make them afraid. Not the IRS of any country on the face of the earth. Not criminals, not thieves, not government is going to take your land away from you because you can't pay your taxes, whatever it may be. Nobody's going to make them afraid. No robbers, no thieves. For the mouth of the eternal, of hosts, has spoken 2,600 years ago. That's the kingdom that Christ died for. That's the joy that was ahead of him, for which reason he endured the sufferings of the cross. And people are in such total ignorance, know absolutely nothing about truth as they should, because they're not reading the Word of God, but inventing their own. And so he says, 
for all the people shall walk in the name of his God. But we will walk in the name of the eternal, our God, forever and ever. In other words, speaking about reality today, in the past many centuries, thousands of years, people had their own idols, and they were not, not real God. But he says, we, the prophets, so we're going to walk after the name of our God, the real one, forever and ever. You see, God never forsook his people. Prophets knew it. And uh, verse 6, In that day, it says the eternal, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcasts, and those whom I have afflicted, speaking by the children of Israel, his people, his wife, and I will make the lame a remnant, and, then, and the outcasts a strong nation, speaking by his people, so the eternal will reign over them in Mount Zion. As you read in Isaiah 9, 6, And to us a son is given, and to us a son is born, and the kingdom shall be upon his shoulder, you know, the government. That's what the kingdom was all about. And when, when the, the archangel Gabriel spoke to Mary, he said that uh, the one that will come out of you, his name is going to be Jesus, that means Yeshua, the Savior, is going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. This is what the story is all about. Not in an ethereal heaven, uh, non-existent place. Yes, God is in heaven, that's true. But he's coming down to this earth. And all of his children are going to be on this earth. None of them is going to go to heaven. And Jesus Christ made it very plain. And the prophets made it very plain. But when you die, you go to the grave. And Christ said, no man, no man has ever ascended up to heaven. And Peter said about David, for David has not ascended up to heaven. He's both dead and buried with us. And people don't believe it. Either Jews or those who call themselves Christians. In other words, both houses of Israel. In utter ignorance and blindness by choice oftentimes. Because when you give them the truth, they think, well, here... You're crazy. And they hate it. And so he says, and uh, so his people are going to be there and going to rule, rule over them forever. And you tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. You see? This is where the kingdom of God is. And people who don't know it are totally mixed up. We shall stop at this point. This is again Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.